fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. Around the world. This, this is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. This is what we've got lined up for you this week. I want to talk to you about how you can use VPN tests to generate additional revenue for your customers by performing automated network penetration testing engagements. That's Alton Johnson. He's an ethical hacker who's created a fully automated pen testing tool. It could go on to be a brand new revenue stream for your MSP. We're also gonna be talking about messaging using LinkedIn. I believe this is underutilized by most MSPs. So today I've got some specific guidelines for you, including how to catch anyone's attention. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. I want to start this week by talking about success and successful people and the mindset that those people have. Now, before we can start doing this, I think you and I need to have a clear definition of what I mean by success. I do not see success as having a 17-bedroomed house and a long gravel driveway and a James Bond Aston Martin parked on it. I don't see success as a private jet or constantly being on holiday or having your own yacht or anything like that. I see success as a very clear and simple thing, something that's achievable by every single person. My definition of success is where you have more than enough cash and more than enough time to do exactly what you want to do with your life. That's it. It's an absolute simple measure of success. And you can now apply that to yourself and say, am I successful? Have I got more than enough cash and more than enough time to do the things I want to do with my life? I consider myself to be partially successful, well on the way. Uh, I have more than enough cash, which is a lovely position to be in. And I've been in that position for a number of years. Time-wise, perhaps a, a little bit squeezed. And that's more to do with my life. I'm a sole parent of an epic 12-year-old. Yes, I'm talking about you. Uh, and uh, you know that that tends to squeeze your time uh, more than, than than work stuff does. But um, I would, I guess, on that measure, consider myself to be reasonably successful. I certainly, there's, there's very few things that I want to do that I can't do. And I'm certainly not held back by lack of cash. It's perhaps more lack of time. Just schools and things get in the way of going to the Seychelles for a month. Anyway, that's to come in the years ahead. Now, the reason I have gone to such lengths about defining what success is, is because I have deliberately and systematically over the last 10 to 15 years, surrounded myself with successful people. Virtually all of my close friends are um, almost wildly successful in, in that respect. Now, some of them happen also to be rich, but remember, that's not my definition of success. All of them have more than enough cash and most of them have more than enough time to do all of the things that they want to do with their lives. And as I say, I systematically gathered these people and have you know, made, made, gone out of my way to be friends with them because I believe, as I think I've said on the podcast before, and this comes from, I think it's Jim Rohn, who's an entrepreneur, uh, and he said, you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. So if I'm going to be talking to people on a regular basis or going to see them or hanging out with them, I want them to be the right kind of thinkers. I want them to be people who are going to 
add to my life and I can add to their life. I have no time for people who, who aren't contributing. You know, I'm, I'm nearly 50. I haven't got time to hang out with negative people. I've only got time to hang out with successful people. And you can learn from those people and they can inspire you and they can challenge you to do more. Now, what I've noticed of successful people is that the vast majority of them have the 2% mindset. Now, this is something I read about on a website years ago. Can't remember the website, but I remember the theory. The theory is that 98% of people are scared to change the status quo. They're scared to do something different. They're stuck in their own comfort zone. And the only thing that will push them out of that comfort zone is external events happening to them. And certainly if I think of some of my other friends, some really good people that I've known for years and years and talk to once or twice a year, most of them, they don't run their own business. They work for someone else. And most of them will just sit and stay happily in their you know, comfortable jobs for a number of years until something comes along and disrupts them. They may be redundant or the business moves or, you know, typically it's some kind of interruption to their, uh, their, their comfort levels. Perhaps they have a new boss or something like that. Or they have another child and suddenly the house isn't big enough for three kids, whereas before it was for two. But essentially they are reacting to external events, moving them out of their comfort zone. That's the 98% of people. And the risk for you is that you get stuck in that 98%. The top 2% of people who think very differently and act very differently, these are the people who are most likely to be successful, to have enough, more than enough cash and time. The top 2% of people, they go for their dreams. They embrace the unknown. They push themselves out of their comfort zone. And they do this systematically again and again and again. And actually, these 2% thinkers, they actually experience more failure than everyone else because they're trying harder. They're pushing themselves. They're doing new things. If you don't experience failure on a regular basis, it's because you're not trying enough new stuff. In fact, perhaps this is the big takeaway from this week's show for you. Ask yourself, when was the last time we failed at something? Failed at something new. I don't mean just things going wrong in the business, but when did you try something new and it didn't work? Now, if you consider that lots of new things shouldn't work until we try lots of different ways to, to, to you know, get to where we want to go and to try this different thing, then obviously you've got to limit the possibility of, of the cost of failure. I fail at stuff all the time, but I won't throw $10,000 at a new idea. I'll throw perhaps $1,000 or $500 at a new idea to test it because I know it's likely to fail. But I also then know, tweak, 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 and keep going. And eventually you'll find some version of that that will work in some way. That's what the 2% mindset is. Give yourself an audit throughout the rest of this week and the weekend. You, your partner, your family, your business partner, if you've got one, are you in the 98% of people who are just comfortable waiting to be disrupted? Or are you in that 2%, that magical 2% of big thinkers who are willing to move themselves out of their comfort zone and get towards that wonderful success? Here's this week's Clever Idea. Tell me, have you built LinkedIn messaging into your MSP's marketing system? Because LinkedIn messaging is gorgeous. First of all, you benefit from 100% guaranteed deliverability. 
You can't say that about email, can you? You have no idea whether or not your email gets to someone, but you know when you send a message within LinkedIn, it's an internal message, it's an internal system. So you know that your message is delivered. You can't guarantee they'll read it, of course, because some people don't check their LinkedIn messages often, but hey-ho, at least we know it has actually got into their inbox. The next thing that makes LinkedIn messaging beautiful is the fact you've got people who kind of know each other messaging each other, even though they don't actually know each other. And what I mean by that is you connect to people on LinkedIn and you're now connected. You're friends. You're not really friends on LinkedIn, are you? Just connections. But once you're connected with someone and you send them a message, they obviously, they're more likely to open or read your message, which is just what makes it beautiful. I think the other beautiful thing about LinkedIn messaging is that LinkedIn wants it to work. You'll notice if you go in, and by that I mean algorithmically and design-wise, it's constantly interrupting your LinkedIn experience to tell you you've got a message. Drives me crazy uh, when I go into LinkedIn. I, I check my LinkedIn once every day, sometimes twice a day. And it drives me crazy to go in and look at my LinkedIn screen and then you've got all those new messages that stack up at the bottom. So I don't know what it's like in the mobile view because I very rarely do it on mobile, but certainly on desktop, you, you just it's just they're interrupting. I don't know if it's deliberate UX, usability design, or just poor UX, but it interrupts my use of LinkedIn, which is fine. I can live with that. It shows that LinkedIn is keen for you to use messaging a lot. So Everything is in your favor with LinkedIn. I'll tell you what else is in your favor is you'd be surprised how few messages are sent. So I'm connected to around about, I think it's about 7,000, might be a little more uh, MSPs, mostly MSPs and some vendors as well. And I get two or three messages a day. And, and by that, I mean messages where I'm not already in a conversation thread. Someone new who's connected to me has sent me a message. I don't get that many emails, which are the sponsored messaging. I wouldn't bother with those at all. But you know, even with seven odd thousand connections, I'm not being bombarded with new messages every day. I'm getting a very small amount of new messages. Ta-da! That's the opportunity for you. Because if I'm not being bombarded, then your prospects aren't being bombarded either. Send LinkedIn messages. Don't try and sell to them on LinkedIn. There's nowhere in an MSP's marketing channels where you should be out and out selling to them. You've got to educate them. You've got to entertain them, which is edutainment. Now, the beautiful thing about LinkedIn messaging is you know exactly who you're sending the message to. And that, because of that, you can make sure that that message is highly relevant. In fact, all good marketing works primarily because it is highly relevant to the person who is seeing that marketing. So if, for example, you were messaging a lawyer and you wanted to draw their attention to I don't know, let's say you worked with other lawyers and you knew there was a, a tweak or a setting in some lawyer software which you, you wanted to educate them about. You wanted to show off your expertise by, by telling them that you'd found this and here's how to do the settings and here's how to change it. If you know they're a lawyer and you, you know that their primary interest in technology is bound to be how can technology help me sue people or ambulance chase faster, then you put that into your message right down to at the start of, hi, Stephen, um, um, do you, tell me, do you use, insert software name, 
question mark. Because if you do, there's a useful setting we've discovered for our lawyer clients, which you might find useful. Now, even if they don't use that particular software, they will still read that message or be more likely to read that message because it seems relevant to them. In the same way that if someone sent you a message, let's say you used uh, Autotask and someone sent you a message uh, about Halo uh, and Halo PSA and how to uh, how to change a setting on that, you wouldn't read it all in great detail, but it would it would register for you that here is an expert in PSAs. So it doesn't matter that you don't have to hit exactly the software that they're using, but just taking stuff from their world. I think um, case management software is what lawyers use. So you know, if you wanted loads more lawyers or you had some lawyers, you just find out the names of all the case management software that's popular and, and you, you build that into some kind of blog article and then you send that out to the lawyers uh, via LinkedIn messaging. Highly relevant. They're highly likely to open it and maybe to read it. And, you know, maybe some of them will even go onto your website and have a look. And isn't that the goal? The goal here is engagement. Some of them will also hit reply to you and, you know, just ask you a question or just engage with you in some way. Remember, the whole point of all the things that we're trying to do in our marketing system is about finding groups of people, audiences to listen to you. And then we're trying to build a relationship with those people. That relationship is done through communication, it's done through content marketing and through engagement. And if you're not already using it, I highly recommend that you pick up LinkedIn messaging as one of your distribution channels. Paul's, Paul's blatant, plug. blatant plug. If you're here because you are truly serious about growing your MSP by improving its marketing, then come and join me and 1,700 other MSPs to talk about exactly how you do this. We have a great free resource. It's a Facebook group. It's the MSP Marketing Facebook group. And I run this. I'm in there every single day answering your questions and inspiring you with more great content like we have here on the podcast. Just tracking through some of the recent posts. I've got a question here from me. How do you track how much technician capacity you have available to sell? Stephen says, that's an interesting question. Uh, maybe it's all down to time for us. Each engineer has a 40-hour work week. We expect 35 of those to be billable in one shape or another. That's a great reply there. Um, another question here. Oh, this is about a story that was in the news a few months ago about uh, a minister, a government minister in Japan declaring war on floppy disks. I didn't know floppy disks still existed. Um, uh, here's another one from me. As the MSP owner, your most precious commodity is your personal time. It must be protected above Above all else discuss. There's tons of inspirational posts in there and practical help as well. If you are an MSP, you are welcome to join. I'm sorry, vendors, that's the one thing that we ask you not to join because it is a vendor-free zone. So go into your Facebook app on your phone, type in MSP marketing at the top, go to groups and you'll see my little face stab your finger right onto the top of my face and that will get you into the group. A few quick qualifying questions and I look forward to seeing you in the MSP Marketing Facebook group. The big, big, big interview. Hey, my name is Alton Johnson, and I'm the founder and principal security consultant here at Vana High Security. And uh, we have an automated network penetration testing platform that fully automates network penetration test engagements. So basically replacing what I used to do full time as a pen tester for the last 10 years. Okay. 
and we're going to talk about uh, pen testing and how to actually turn it into a profit center today. Before we get started, though, uh, you, you and I have something in common, Alton. We've actually only met today for the first time, uh, but back in July this year, uh, you won the channel program pitch uh, with Matt Solomon and with Kevin, and I then won the August one. And I'll let you into a little secret, because uh, the, the way this, if, if, if you haven't heard about the channel program pitch, is a load of vendors come on and they pitch their product. And then the MSPs who are there, and we're talking several hundred, mm -hmm. they, they then get to vote for who's the best pitch. Um, I'll let you into a secret, Alton. As part of my prep, for my pitch, my winning pitch, I watched your winning pitch. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I actually watched yours three times over and broke down what you'd done. Uh, and, and your secret, which I'll reveal now for all the other vendors who are doing it, your secret, which is what I stole, was you, you talked about MSPs. You didn't talk about well, what you do, you talked about them, uh, which is which is uh, a pretty smart move. So let's let's talk about uh, pen testing now. As you know, I'm not a technical person. I've never owned an MSP, and just hearing a phrase like pen testing just you know just makes makes my kind of my my eye twitch and makes me feel funny because it feels too technical. But I am conscious that from all the conversations I've had with hundreds and hundreds of MSPs. Everyone's aware of it, but very few people are actually doing it. Why is that? Yeah, so I think there's two things, right? There's a, a lack of understanding of the value of penetration testing. And I think for the MSPs that do understand what a pen test is, there's just a lot of challenges. So for example, um, to kind of touch on the first point, you know, a penetration test is basically going into, like not just finding the vulnerability, but actually exploiting the vulnerability to show the impact, right? Because a lot of MSPs are doing vulnerability assessments so they're aware of like the vulnerabilities that exist, but they're not aware of like how those vulnerabilities will actually impact the business if they were to get compromised, right? So that's where the pen test comes in. The pen test goes, all right, yeah, you have a lot, of, you have a lot of vulnerabilities, but let me show you exactly what this means if an attacker was able to compromise this. So the pen test is focused mostly on the impact. You know, here's confidential data because of this vulnerability. Here's a low vulnerability that your vulnerability scanner told you wasn't a big problem, but here's the proof that it is a big problem because here's your social security numbers that are in your database, right? So it truly hits home. Which, which of course has more impacts, doesn't it? Because if you can show someone data that they think no one else can access, that's going to utterly, well, it's, it's, I was going to say terrify them. Yep. It's, it's, it's a level more than terrified, I imagine. Exactly, exactly. So it really hits home a lot more. There's a lot of companies that have been doing vulnerability assessments for years. And they get their first pen test and they're just like, wow, I didn't even realize it was this bad, right? Because there's so much focus on the impact. But then the other thing too is the cost, right? So traditional cybersecurity companies, they charge a ton of money for a pen test engagement. I mean, it's so much, it's so expensive that SMBs typically can't afford to go spend 10 grand for a pen test. They just, it's just not a, a thing, right? So there's the MSPs that do understand that their customers need pen test engagements, but they just can't satisfy that need because it's too expensive. It takes a really long time to get it, you know, going. Like, for example, if they can afford it, well, now there's like a four or five week process of like just scheduling and scoping and logistics. And then once the project actually gets started, there's another month or two. So it's a, it's a, it's a long, tedious, ex uh, expensive process that is just a huge headache uh, at the end of the day. So, uh, but yeah, I think those are really the two yeah. biggest driver, uh, reasons behind it. So tell us, tell us about your career as a, as a manual pen tester. How did you get into this in the first place? Yeah, so uh, I've actually been hacking since I was a kid. I was just a bored kid, you know, didn't really care for school too much. I was just, you know, wanted to go back home and get on the computer. Uh, somebody hacked me, showed, how, showed me how they did it. And I became very curious about like getting access to computers. And so I got my first cybersecurity job when I was around 19 or so. Um, 
and you know so I've, I've been doing pen testing for, for for a while i really got started just doing like it stuff like you know securing you know uh managing the network deploying you know hardware things like that and then we had a cybersecurity company come in to do a, a security assessment for us and i was just mind blown i was like you can actually get paid to hack like this is a real legit profession i want to do this so that's kind of how i got started into the industry I, I got my first opportunity and i just took it and just ran with it and what's the best reaction you've ever had from someone when when you have got through their defenses and you've you've physically shown them you know here's some data that are, that I acquired from your business? The I think the the one of my, one of my favorite things that I'll never forget is we did a uh, penetration uh, physical assessment for a uh, a uh, a gas station uh, a gas company, and uh, basically our goal was to get in and get as much assets as possible, and we did before we even because we went on site. And we basically uh, walked into the headquarters, got beyond the physical security controls, got access to the network, went back to the hotel and compromised the entire domain from the hotel. And so when we finally went back on site to meet the client, it was basically, hey, my name's Alton and I had a coworker and we were like, we have access to everything. And he was just like mind blown at like all of the different security you know, layers that we went past. So that to me, it was always like one of my favorites. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you've, uh, there's, there's a book I've read, or actually I listened to it um, a couple of years ago now, and I can't quite remember what it's called. It might be Ghost in the Wire. Mm -hmm. It's a guy called Kevin mm -hmm. Mitnick, yep. I think. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he was the FBI's most wanted hacker. And it's you you talking there about how you, you just went in somewhere. Yeah, often, often his hacks were as simple as just walking, you know, walk, social engineering his way into a building or onto a phone call or something like that. And obviously, there's some technical expertise. Have you have you read that book? Yeah, yeah I've, I've read two of them uh, by Kevin Mitnick, and I've, I've actually met him at DEF CON once before and it was pretty cool so oh, wow. uh yeah yeah i definitely know a lot about them <laughs> yeah yeah it's, and, and you know it's an interesting book even if you're not in technology you know mm -hmm. as, as a, as a non-tech person myself mm -hmm. i found it fascinating and and horrifying at the same time yeah. so alton you you've developed a, an automated platform so as we said right at the start pen testing is perceived as difficult uh it's it's you know many msps don't really know how to implement it properly what what made you want to create this automated platform yeah, so it's very interesting. I proposed the idea of automating my like what I was doing as a pen tester at previous companies, but at bigger companies, it's kind of hard to move things quickly. You know, you, you have to do a lot of meeting and talking and discussing, and it just never gets done. Um, so, for me, when when I started when I started Vana High Security, my goal was to basically make myself as a pen tester much more efficient. In fact. Um, when I started creating a lot of the code for, for vPentest, it was really to make myself a better pen tester. Like I just wanted to, I hated reporting. Every pen tester hates reporting. It's just a lot, you know, we all hate it. So I wanted to create something that would make life easier for me as a pen tester. And we finally had uh, our first demo uh, and we were like, you know, we, we, that's when we, we got our first demo and it came from a place we didn't even expect. And that's when we started kind of talking to MSPs like, wow, there's, there's MSPs that actually want this type of solution. Like, here I am making a tool for myself to make myself a better pen tester, but all we have to do is put a front end interface to it and to give access to other people to use the same thing. And so that's kind of how it really took off. You know, I really wanted to just make pen testing just better, easier, quicker, more efficient, you know, because I, you know, no pen tester is perfect, but, uh, you know, we all want to do things better. And so for me, I just really want to take that initiative and get it going. Now, we're not going to go into the technicalities mm -hmm. of, of how your pen test works or, you know, how, how, how an MSP would use it, because that, that's not what mm -hmm. this podcast is. But tell me how you would recommend an MSP uses pen testing as a, as a revenue generator, as a, as a profit center. Yeah, so absolutely. So one of the biggest things a lot of our MSPs ask is, you know, we have a client, we have a potential, uh, you know, we have a prospect and we want to know uh, how do we fit VPN test into the picture. 
And one of the good things about our licensing model is it's super flexible. So they can sign up and they could run assessments on customers, like on any any company they want to, you know, obviously with contracts and everything like that. But uh, one of the things that really get uh, customers in the door for our MSPs is the ability to perform uh, a free vulnerability assessment for their customer. And typically the way that goes is they perform the vulnerability assessment. They show the customer, hey, here are the vulnerabilities that we found. We could actually potentially find more if we did a pen test. But the vulnerability assessment is kind of a way in. It's a way to say, hey, here's what we know from the external side. And here are the possible things that we could that could come out of this. So that's the first one, right? It's really just a pre-sales uh, tool. But then the other part is after the pen test is complete, we actually don't perform the remediation. We, you know, we instruct the MSPs on how to do it, how to, you know, what setting to click and stuff like that. But for an MSP, this could provide some other opportunities because, for example, our pen tests may have identified that they didn't detect something happening or there's a huge issue that's, you know, pretty common across the network. So an MSP can take that opportunity to fix the issue. Sometimes they may run across opportunities to plug in other solutions to further increase the environment. So there's a lot of opportunities on the remediation side for an MSP to get in and find ways to better secure their network um, as well. And would you would you recommend, uh, for, let's say for a, a mature MSP that's got you know a, an impressive client base, mm-hmm. at, at what point would you recommend they introduce the, the concept of pen testing? Would it be uh, when they're doing strategic reviews or quarterly business reviews with with clients, you know, w- would it be introduced as a, as a as a new tool, or you know, is it something that perhaps they should use to test uh, a new security installation, even in the knowledge that obviously you know you potentially are going to find some weaknesses? Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally, penetration testing is something that the industry recommends to do once a year. That's like a kind of a, a, a standard, right? Once a year, but <clears throat> with the ability to perform automated penetration testing. We typically recommend a lot more frequent, right? So at least quarterly, we have some partners that are doing it monthly as well. Um, but I would say doing it frequently, at least quarterly, is probably the best bet, um, you know, even monthly, just depending on the environment. But there are other cases as well to where, like, for example, to your point, if there's a new um, environment that they're trying to, like, migrate with, they may want to make sure that the other environment is secure. So they might want to do a pen test on that network before they, you know, uh, go with that process. And then, of course, too, on the acquisition side, you know, it's kind of very similar. You just want to make sure that that other uh, company is, is is secure before you start to kind of go forward and, and migrate data and things like that. Yeah, this is this is Alton's sleep at night pill. That's what this is, certainly <laughs> for the MSPs, anyway. And with you can you can you can steal that as a strapline if you want to. That one's that one's on me. And give us give us a broad overview then of 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 what you do, what you sell, and what's the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah, so uh, so you know, Vana High Security, you know, we we do specialize in uh, the automated pen testing platform, which is VPentest. We do offer uh, other cybersecurity services too, like social engineering, but we heavily focus on the automated pen tests. Um, we do offer a free proof of concept as well. So, you know, we understand, you know, automated pen testing, is it really true? Things like that. Um, and let me just see how it works. So uh, they could definitely reach out to us as well and get set up with a free trial. Uh, they could run a trial for up to 25 IP addresses, any of their customers and experience what the whole process is like. Um, and then they can also obviously book a demo at our website as well to get in touch with somebody and, and learn more information about it. But uh, but yeah, definitely take advantage of the the free proof of concept. It's, 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 it's an eye opener. Cool. And go on, give us the website address. Yeah, it's uh, www.vanahai. So that's V-O-N-A-H-I.io. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Blaine Elkers here, your Chief Results Officer. And my book recommendation would be Think and Grow Rich, the Book Study Edition. 
Now, this book is um, created more millionaires than any other book. Uh, but in the book study edition, it kind of takes you through week by week by week. And you realize what you think about, you bring about. And so I think that's going to uh, help you to bring about whatever you are thinking about. Coming up, Coming up next week. Hello, my name is Cheyenne, the CEO of Kamanja. And I will be here in the next week to show you how you can take the compliance edX for MSPs and make a real revenue from it. See you. Do subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Because also on the show next week, we'll discuss a clever marketing psychology idea called persuasion. It's another way to influence prospects to choose you. We'll also be talking about work from home setups and how you can actually leverage them into being a sales tool, not just to get on new clients, but also to persuade your existing clients to upgrade. All of that will be on next week's show. Now, in the meantime, if you want more marketing ideas for your MSP, we've got tons of content on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash MSP marketing. Join me on this podcast next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your business. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP, MSP Marketing Podcast.